DW, World in Progress. With Anchor Rasper. Have you ever been to the city of Seville in Spain? It's very popular with tourists. With its rich history, stunning architecture, great food and the flamenco music that was born here. But for many residents, it's a very different experience. Residents in many neighborhoods feel abandoned compared to other areas of the city linked to large economic interests, which in Seville is the tourist industry. In our neighborhoods, people have nothing to do with tourism, nor with Seville's idyllic image. Welcome to the show. In Bonn, Germany, I'm Anke Rasper. Close to three million visitors from around the world travel to Seville in southern Spain every year. To accommodate them, many of the city's traditional houses with beautifully tiled courtyards have been turned into tourist accommodations. But that also means that of the nearly 700,000 Sevillanos, just a tiny fraction can afford to live in the old town. And while the tourists enjoy the picturesque alleys, the historic taverns and their flamenco shows, many of those who keep this ancient tradition alive are forced to live in the poorest parts of town. What's life like for them? Andreas Burke traveled to Seville to explore the dichotomies of this vibrant city. The presenter is Neil King. For any tours for the cathedral, we have a tour at four o'clock. We have the hop on hop on bus tour, the boat tour. We're on holiday, spending an entire week in Andalusia. We're here in Seville for just one or two days to see the city. We've only seen Sevilla's old town, nothing else, because we're on foot, which is no problem at all. The city seems to be all about tourism. It's the only thing that matters. The narrow streets of Seville's old town echo with the voices of international tourists who have taken a break from sightseeing to enjoy a refreshing glass of wine or juice and Spanish cuisine in one of the city's many restaurants. Seville is the capital of Andalusia, Spain's southernmost region. One of its best-known landmarks is the Giralda, the cathedral's bell tower. A horse-drawn carriage takes tourists through Seville's old town, which spans about four square kilometers, making it one of Europe's largest. Only Venice and Genoa in Italy have even bigger old towns. Many of Seville's traditional Andalusian houses with beautifully tiled courtyards have been turned into tourist accommodations. But of the nearly 700,000 Sevillanos, not even 10% live in the old town. Harry, a tourist from the US, is well aware that most tourists hardly ever visit the outskirts of Seville. So we don't really get out there, you know, unless you know somebody. It's hard to get out there just to the suburbs to see how, how people live. People like Juan Garcia 
The IT specialist grew up in the working-class neighborhood of Bella Vista, where he still lives today. Garcia sits in a cafe next to a thoroughfare in Seville's southernmost suburb. Many of the residential areas have become dilapidated over the decades, with city authorities paying little attention to the neglect. Residents in many neighbourhoods feel abandoned compared to other areas of the city linked to large economic interests, which in Seville is the tourist industry. In our neighbourhoods, people have nothing to do with tourism, nor with Seville's idyllic image. While just a few companies profit from the city's reputation as a cultural melting pot, most of the people who are from here live in the run-down suburbs. Each year, Spain's National Institute of Statistics ranks the country's urban districts. One ranking found that, judging by average household income, seven out of the 15 poorest neighbourhoods in the country are found in Seville. The city's beauty is characterized by the harmonious coexistence of cultures. Many different civilizations have lived here peacefully, side by side, and all have left their mark on Andalusia. This is beautiful and a positive contribution of Andalusia to humanity. But Juan Garcia also believes the tourism industry is exploiting the local culture of tolerance and zest for life. When you go to the centre, you will see flamenco dancers in many places. You can visit art museums and other venues. But the real keepers of culture, the working class, the common people, the villagers, have practically no access to all this. For them, it's hard enough just to get by. Outside of the city, there are very few cultural events, and the ones in Seville's old town are expensive. A ticket to see a flamenco show is 30 euros, for example. Who can afford that? Not the people living here, for sure. There is a lot of poverty in Seville. That's a reality. Around a third of the population faces social exclusion. Seville may be the fifth richest city in Spain, but its unemployment rate stands at over 30%, far above the national average. Juan Garcia says Seville is a polarised city, with a huge gulf between the rich and poor. There is a lack of infrastructure and public services, as basic as daycare and healthcare centres. Many services either don't exist or aren't working properly. About 10,000 people live in Seville's Bella Vista district, but it's not easy to find a restaurant here. Two locals recommend a bar a few blocks away. The bar serves tapas. We're sitting in the Casildo Bar, which is legendary in Bella Vista. In this part of town, there are no fancy restaurants with gourmet dining. At Casildo, you can get tapas. One of the guests tells us. The owner, a broad-shouldered man named Sepele, with a large tattoo on his arm, took over the family business from his parents. My name is Zeppele. I was born in Germany, a little north of Stuttgart, as Josef. But my real name is José Antonio Sanchez. My friends and family call me Zeppele. 
The Sanchez family has been serving Andalusian cuisine for 50 years, honoring the gastronomic tradition of working-class tapas bars. Everything that exists in this neighborhood today is thanks to the efforts of the people who live here. We are a community. Even though we moved here from different provinces of the country, no one forgets their roots. A neighborhood committee representative stands outside a municipal administration building, announcing an upcoming protest. The people of Bella Vista, like many people from other civil neighborhoods, have a history of taking to the streets. Residents stage protests, put up roadblocks and lead campaigns to fight for better living conditions. Meanwhile, the tapas bar is filling up. Our customers live hand to mouth. It would be good if every month was February, with only 28 days, because most families are out of money by the 31st. There is no work and salaries are so low that people can't even afford the bare necessities. Sepele rarely visits Seville's historic city center. Central Sevilla is a theme park as far as tourism is concerned. You are welcomed with open arms, but you are overcharged. But in working-class neighborhoods like these, where ordinary people live, things are different. We sell quality products at a reasonable price and treat our customers well. Jesus Crespillo is one of the regulars at the bar. The young man sits in a wheelchair. He usually comes here with his parents on the first Saturday of each month. He likes the food. Because they serve very good food. The bar is wheelchair accessible, says his father, Jesus Senior, thanks to a ramp. But it's not easy getting around the Bella Vista neighborhood in a wheelchair. Jesus's mother, Maria Catelda, points to the sidewalk, which is often too narrow for wheelchair users. Look at this curb. When you reach it with a wheelchair, you'll tip over. It's impossible to get down from the curb, so we have no choice but to stay on the road. That means every time a car comes, it has to wait until there's a parking space for the wheelchair so it can pass, and so on. Entering parks is the same thing. There are stairs everywhere. It's super complicated to get in. She is frustrated and certain most people who work for the municipality have no idea how difficult it is for wheelchair users to get around town. Not even the municipal offices are wheelchair accessible. Maria says regular power outages are also a problem. Many residential areas face daily blackouts, which are a major issue for her 20-year-old son, who depends on electricity. Not only because I have to charge my wheelchair. Above all, I'm very worried because my ventilator needs power, and so does the lift that helps me get into bed. His father, Jesus Crespillo, feels burned out. We're in a constant battle. It never ends. We want our son to feel at ease. He should be able to leave the house as often as possible and live as independently as possible. 
All the time this takes leaves no time for political involvement. We should be fighting to improve the lives of all people with disabilities. The family paid off the loan for their small house a few years ago, but with a monthly household income of about 1,200 euros, they need to watch their spending. Seville has one of the lowest average per capita incomes in Western Europe, partly because Andalusia has a large shadow economy. Spain's Ministry of Economic Affairs estimates that money earned through undeclared work accounts for about a fourth of earnings in Spain. While in Andalusia, it's likely more than a third. We are lifelong Bella Vista residents and know all the people here. Unfortunately, lately there are a lot of robberies. Life here has become less safe. There is a new police station, but it's often unstaffed. I understand that tourism is important, but the first thing you have to take care of is your people, your area, your city. You have to take care of it. But that's not happening. Over the past two decades, many people here have grown to depend on two or even three jobs to make ends meet. In the hotel industry, for example, there are hardly any full-time jobs anymore. Those who do work in the sector have temp jobs for three or four hours a day. That way, employers don't have to pay workers social security benefits. People in particularly dire circumstances have a right to receive assistance from cities' social services. But in the wake of four economic crises since the year 2000, Spain's welfare system is entering a state of collapse. There are far too many people in need, and as a result, Spain's weakest and most vulnerable are suffering the most, says Jesus Crespillo. So es pan para hoy, hambre para mañana. You'll have bread today and go hungry tomorrow. The situation's screwed up. It's screwed up. There are a lot of poor people in the city centre as well. They go where the tourists are to beg. And many beggars will tell you, at least tourists are visiting, so that they can give you a few euros to buy a sandwich for the day. It's so sad. Almost every day, 67-year-old Juan Guerrero wearing a frayed old suit, visits some of the most touristic spots in the city centre. The former civil servant is begging for change. Guerrero says he spent 23 years working for the National Employment Office. In the 80s, he was also a blues musician, but when he became an alcoholic, he wasn't able to find a steady job anymore. I made mistakes back then. I'm still paying the consequences. You know, the nightlife and music can lead you astray. Today, I live on the street. There is no place for me to live in the old town. The cheap apartments are rented to tourists. When Spain's real estate bubble burst 15 years ago, hundreds of investors went bust. Many construction companies folded as well. That's why many housing estates remain half-finished and vacant. Today, three and a half million Spanish homes remain vacant. Even so, tens of thousands of homeless people rely on organizations like the Catholic relief agency Caritas for help. Apartments in Seville's old town are often rented out to tourists or are briefly occupied by destitute homeless people. They take care of tourism because it is the only industry Seville has. 
We don't have textile factories anymore, they are gone, we have nothing. Locals are decrying the tough living conditions in Seville's suburbs. Juan Garcia co-founded the Barrios Hatos neighborhood platform. Barrios means neighborhood, and Hato means full, satiated or fed up with something. In Andalusia, Hato also means filled with anger. The name is meant to show we are not just annoyed about these conditions, but that we can't take it anymore. And we'll do something, because we're fed up. Many of Seville's suburbs are so neglected and impoverished that the city needs to take urgent action, says Juan Garcia. He thinks authorities should improve living conditions. A life of dignity is no longer considered a human right. Instead, rents and mortgages are rising so much that working-class residents with household incomes of about 900, 1,000 euros can no longer get by. If you have to pay 500, 600 euros to rent a two-room apartment, how are you supposed to pay your other bills? How are you supposed to live like that? Juan Garcia and his fellow activists want to motivate residents to protest. An example of one issue that affects everyone here is rising temperatures. Between June and August, Seville saw temperatures soar past 40 degrees on 25 different days. Keeping the air conditioning running has become vital, and a matter of life and death for the elderly. Dozens of people have died in previous heat waves. There is not much greenery in the city. And some squares don't even have trees to provide much-needed shade. But at least there are drinking fountains. Juan Garcia steps up to one, washes his face and takes a few refreshing sips. We are on our way to Vicky. Her sick mother has had major problems this summer because of power outages. Vicky Repillo was one of the founding members of Barrios Hatos five years ago. At the time, crime was particularly bad, and power outages were also happening often. When we realised that people in other parts of the city were facing the same problems, we got in touch. Together, we decided to first address an issue that affects us all, the power outages. Hundreds of families are dealing with long blackouts without anyone in power caring. Recently, a pensioner died when a power cut caused his ventilator to stop working. The man, who was about 70 years old, suffered from chronic lung disease. Every night, his wife would make sure his ventilator was working properly. But one time, she didn't notice the power had gone out. When she woke up the next day, her husband was dead. Juan Garcia knows the story. This woman is racked with guilt. 
Even though it wasn't her fault, the machine stopped working. Vicky's mother has to deal with constant blackouts as well. We called the authorities maybe 800 times. My mother is elderly and suffers from dementia, but nobody is helping us. Barrios Hatos activists revealed that several transformer stations in Seville have not been upgraded for decades. And some substations have not been replaced for 80 years and still remain in operation to this day. Vicky says people are dying because there is no electricity. She wonders whether city officials even care about their lives. My mother has mobility problems. She loses balance easily. And she has dementia. How do you deal with that when there's no electricity? We've started putting up candles, though with great care, so as not to cause a fire. Juan Garcia is convinced blackouts wouldn't happen as often if the electricity company had not been privatised 20 years ago. Since then, the company and its owners, ENEL, have mainly been concerned with making a profit. What's causing the power cuts? It just so happens that working-class neighbourhoods consume less electricity than other areas. That's why there's no investment in the local infrastructure, and there's been no maintenance for 20 years. The company is not concerned with human rights, but with a power as a commodity which is not profitable in many suburbs. In the city centre, on the other hand, there are no long blackouts. After all, hotel room air conditioners must keep running. His neighbour, Vicky Repillo, wants to help fight the power outages. She's joined many protest events. As a member of the Barrios Hartos platform, I'm trying to change this. My neighbours, my children and myself all have the same rights. No matter whether we live in Sevilla's remotest neighbourhood or the city centre, our living conditions should be similar. Many young people in Seville's working-class districts face a bleak future. Crime is on the rise, as is drug and alcohol abuse. Those who do manage to get a good education leave, moving to major cities like Madrid, Barcelona or Valencia or relocating to other European countries. All of this disappointment has really united us, and we've realised that either we work together or we'll achieve nothing. Juan Garcia is convinced their association has helped instil optimism in his neighbours. We at Barrios Hartos believe we need to exert pressure on the institutions, on those in charge, to cede some land, for example, to transform it into a playground. We have demonstrated that this fight is worthwhile. In just a month and a half, seven transformers were installed, for example. This has never happened before. Never, ever. Recently, dozens of activists occupied the local cultural centre for 20 days to push through their demands. Juan Garcia was among them. Vicky is certain such protests are paying off. Our activism has resulted in a sports centre and civic centre being built. Sometimes, though, it gets exhausting. And you ask yourself, why does it take so much effort to fight for better public services? It should be obvious that the people in this neighbourhood need them. Vicky Repillo, Juan Garcia and their fellow activists are proud of their city, which thousands of tourists visit each year from all over the world.
but they're also angry that Seville's suburbs are being neglected and are working to draw more attention to this problem so that hopefully people's lives can soon improve. Seville in Spain, we travel more than 10,000 kilometers eastward to our final destination today, to Hong Kong. The city on the southern Chinese Sea is a very hilly place, spread across many islands. On the main island, there's a particularly steep climb from the sea up to Victoria Peak at 550 meters. Between the city center below and the peak, There's a popular residential area called Mid-Hill or Mid-Levels with a crawl of houses and skyscrapers. People have spectacular views from up here, but it takes a lot of effort to climb to these heights on foot, even more so during the hot and humid summers. But there's an easier alternative. You can take the longest outdoor-covered escalator system in the world, just like our reporter Benjamin Eisel did. Evelyn McClafferty presents the report. In the early morning hours, Hong Kong's most famous escalator moves at a leisurely pace. From the residential area atop the hill in the mid-levels down to the central district to the middle of the hustle and bustle. Perhaps unsurprisingly, it's called the Central Mid-Levels Escalator. It's Hong Kong's most unusual way to get around, and everyone uses it. Older people, domestic servants on the way to the market, smartly dressed business people on their way to the office. It has its advantages, especially in the summer, says Carmen, a 42-year-old local. It's actually quite good, especially summertime, so I sweat less before I go to work. The escalator is actually an entire network of different escalators and moving walkways that allow people to jump on and off at different locations. You usually need to walk a few meters to change to the next escalator, meaning in many places they run above street level. At over 800 meters in total, it's the longest outdoor covered escalator system in the world, and locals can cover an altitude of 135 meters free of charge. I use it daily so it's a important part of my commute. David, a 50-year-old local, says he lives close to the top of the steep hill. He spends roughly 30 minutes on the Central Mid-Levels escalator as part of his daily commute to the office and then back home. I take this, then go to the office, and then on the way back, it goes in the right direction. The escalator whirs to life at six in the morning and then only travels down the hill for four hours. That's a little confusing to this tourist from mainland China. This escalator is going down. I asked one of the workers here if we took the wrong one and if there's one traveling up. But he said it changes direction at 10 a.m. Now I don't know whether to wait with my child or to look for a different route. At 10 a.m., the direction of each escalator in the network is manually reversed, one by one. For the rest of the day, all escalators run upwards. 
One of the transport workers explains that it takes about 20 minutes to reverse the direction of all 23 escalators. They run uphill and only uphill for the rest of the day, until midnight. For those who need to go in the opposite direction, there's a set of stairs running parallel. But in the morning before 10am, there aren't many people who take the stairs uphill. Instead, the closer it gets to 10am, the more people gather at the bottom end of the escalators, waiting for the direction to change, so they can take the easy way up. Especially older people, many loaded down with purchases. This is how a 95-year-old woman describes it. It's just really practical no matter whether it rains or shines. It's especially comfortable to take it in the summer. You just have to watch out for the hours of operation. So many people benefit from the escalators and they don't have to take public transportation to go downhill. The famous escalator has even appeared in a number of movies, from 1994's Chongqing Express by Hong Kong director Wong Kar-wai and 2008's Batman installment The Dark Knight by director Christopher Nolan. 2023 marks the 30th anniversary of Hong Kong's most famous moving stairs. They came into operation in October 1993, but were not welcomed by everyone. Some complained they were too expensive. Others said it was a project for the affluent residents from the mid-levels. But criticism of the escalator has pretty much stopped. The central mid-level escalator is loved by locals and tourists alike. About 80,000 people use it every day. Hong Kong local Carmen hopes it'll keep going for many years to come. Well, I wish they stay for another 100 or 200 years if it's possible. And that wraps up this edition of World in Progress. To listen back to this or other editions of the show, just go to DW Podcasts on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're back next week. Until then, thanks for your interest. On behalf of today's studio team here in Bonn, Germany, I'm Anke Rasper. Take care.